Before we get started, something I want to do, I only get to do it every four years. Anybody got a birthday tomorrow? Anybody? Okay, I don't see any hands. Anybody know someone who has a birthday tomorrow? Wow. That's about six or seven hands. I've never known anybody that had a birthday on February 29th. So, how about that? February not only has leap year this year, it is American Heart Month, which helps raise awareness about the heart and how to keep it healthy. You know, this extraordinary muscle weighs less than one pound. It's about the same size of a clenched fist. Hold up your clenched fist. If you don't hold up your fist, it means you don't have a heart. That's about the size of your heart. That's amazing. Heart disease is the number one cause of death in the United States for both men and women. Nearly 3,500 Americans die each day as a result of heart disease. So be smart, take good care of your heart. In February, we also celebrate a day which deals with some other issues of the heart. You know what day that was? Yeah, two weeks ago on Sunday, Valentine's Day. I hope you had some chocolate that day. Anybody have chocolate? I want to know because if you have any left over, I'd like it. (laughs) I love chocolate. You know, you could say I'm a chocoholic. So, like I said, if you've got some of those, even those little hard ones in the bottom of the tray, the heart-shaped tray, whatever, you know, see me next week, will you? Statistics tell us that about $450 million are spent each year on Valentine's candy. Now, on total Valentine gifts... Men spend an average of about $150 for their special someone, while women spend $74. (laughs) And I was wondering, men, does that uh, say we have twice the love in our hearts, or, or what is it? I don't know what it says, but this morning I want to shift gears, and I want to talk and look at what the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah preached about another heart. Jeremiah lived in the final days of the nation of Israel. God had repeatedly warned Israel to stop their sinful behavior, but they wouldn't listen, so God tore the nation apart. The ten tribes of the northern kingdom, known as Israel, they went into captivity at the hands of the Assyrians. Then God sent Jeremiah to give Judah, the southern country, tribes, a last warning before he sent them into captivity in Babylon. Now, when Jeremiah spoke of the heart, he wasn't thinking of that organ that lies in the middle of our chest. He was thinking about the inner core of a person's being, the intellectual, the emotional, the spiritual dimensions of human beings. Jeremiah had in view something that wouldn't show up on an EKG. Jeremiah knew the problem of Judah wasn't with the people's hands or their heads, but with their hearts. Jeremiah believed that in order to bring the people back to God, the best place was to start 
at the heart. We pick it up in Jeremiah 17, verse 1. People of Judah, your sins cannot be erased. They are written on your hearts like words chiseled in stone. You see, Judah had committed the worst of all sins. They had forsaken God, and they didn't worship Him as required. They had turned to other idol gods and and false gods and placed them above the one true God. Now, they had no excuse because they knew this first commandment. Read it with me. You shall have no other gods before me. That's still applicable for us today. There was no room for debate when it came to the worship of God. He was to be worshipped before all gods and above all gods. Yet the people of Judah had forsaken him. In fact, Jeremiah states that they had forsaken God to the point that their sins were figuratively chiseled into their stone-like hearts. Now, if there's one descriptive word that comes to mind when I think of this image, it's hardness. Hardness. The hearts of the people are pictured as hard as stone. And what is written on them? Jeremiah said their sins were written on their hearts. Sin is a choice we make against God. And when we make that choice repeatedly over and over, God will give us over to that choice. Whether we're from the tribe of Judah or from the tribe of faith fellowship. If we constantly choose to turn away from him, He'll give us over to our desire and let us have our way. You see, hard hearts only get harder with time. And that's what the Bible means when it says that God hardens someone's heart like he did with Pharaoh. It isn't that he caused someone to do something. It's that he gave them over to what their hearts already desired to do. Jeremiah says because their hearts had forsaken God, their homes would also forsake God as well. He says one generation after another has set up pagan altars and worshipped the goddess Asherah everywhere in your country, on hills and mountains and under large trees. In other words, the sins of the children of one generation would reflect the sins of the parents of a previous generation. The children, like their parents, would choose to forsake and give up on God. A survey revealed that when mom and dad take their children to church, 76%, about three out of four, of those children followed the faith of their parents when they got older. Now, if only the father took the children to church, the percentage dropped to 55%, about one out of two. Now, interesting, if only the mother took the children to church, the percentage plummeted to 15%. And if neither parent took the children to church, Only 9%, 
one out of two children ever became active Christians. So mom and dad, here it is. If serving God isn't a priority to you, more than likely serving God won't be a priority to your children. If you don't read the Bible, if you don't pray, if you don't give, if you don't serve, then you should not expect anything other than that from your children as they grow older. God presents each of our hearts with a choice. Our hearts can choose to forsake him or to trust and follow him. It's our choice alone. I can't choose for you. You can't choose for me. Jeremiah goes on and he gives a warning. It's a long passage, so let me drink a little bottle of water. The Lord proclaims, Cursed are those who trust in mere humans, who depend on human strength and turn their hearts from the Lord. They will be like a desert shrub that doesn't know when relief comes. They will live in the parched places of the wilderness in a barren land where no one survives. Happy are those who trust in the Lord, who rely on the Lord. They will be like trees planted by the streams, whose roots reach down to the water. They won't fear drought when it comes. Their leaves will remain green. They won't be stressed in the time of drought or fail to bear fruit. Sin has to do with who we put our trust in. Verse 5 on the previous screen criticizes those who trust in humans. And the phrase probably has a military sense And it seems to be referring to Judah's leadership. They're trying to get Egypt or or some other country to come and protect them from the Babylonians. They want to take them off into captivity. You see, the people's hearts are turned away from God because he is supposed to take care of the people. When things go badly for Judah, they aren't supposed to look to others for help. They were to look to God. And all these thousands of years later, it's the same for us today. Where do we look first when things are going badly for us? Do we turn to our friends? Do we run to our spouse? Or do we run to God at the first sign of trouble? It's like some people who would say something like this. Well, you know, we've tried everything we know to do. So I guess we might as well just, you know, now it's about time to pray. Maybe we ought to think about putting prayer first. Is your heart turned toward God? Or is it turned toward other people when things aren't going well for you? Jeremiah in this passage points out two types of plants. One is a bush and the others are trees. The bush lives in the desert, just barely surviving. And the trees live by a stream, drinking from the water that's flowing nearby. And the tree's leaves are always green, and they're full of life. The little bush is barely alive, and it's just managing to keep from dying. The bush is a metaphor for those who put their trust in people, while the trees 
are the ones who trust in God. This is a picture of life and death. This contrast comes down to how our hearts are turned either toward God or they're turned away from God. When our hearts are turned away from the one who gave us physical life, we won't experience his offer of abundant life. Not here as we walk this earth and not in eternity. You see, that's what sin does. Sin chokes out life. But when our hearts are turned toward God, seeking a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, we'll experience the abundant life that He offers freely for all of us. We'll experience that life not only now on earth, but someday we'll experience eternal life. The truth is our world paints a very different picture from this. This is the world's constant message to us. If you want to really live, you need to do it your way. God can't help you experience the real life that's out there. Ralph Waldo Emerson was a poet and a philosopher of the 1800s. And his beliefs are summarized in one of his essays entitled self Reliance. And in the essay, Emerson tells his readers not to care for the poor, not to love their families, and not to listen to God. He writes this Nothing can bring peace to yourself but yourself. Written in 1841, but it sounds a lot like 2016. And whether in 1841 or 2016, the blessing of following or the curse of forsaking God comes down to a matter of trust. So who do you trust, Faith Fellowship? Do you trust in yourself? Do you trust in other people? Or do you trust in God? That's the choice. Presented to each of our hearts. Will you forsake God and and be like a little shrub in a barren land? Or will you follow God and be like that tree planted by the waters? Jeremiah stressed making the proper choice because he knew the tendency of the human heart. He knew that if left to themselves, men and women, boys and girls would always choose to forsake God rather than following him. Remember, I said, if left to themselves. In verses 9 and 10, Jeremiah gives us one of the most graphic depictions of the heart in the entire Bible. Verse 9, he says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The word deceitful there is the Hebrew word for, it speaks of being crooked and and slippery and sly. And that's what Jeremiah found when he looked at his own heart, when he looked at the people's hearts of Judah, and when he looked at the hearts of all men men and women on through time. 
Jeremiah's commentary about the heart doesn't get any better, for he continues and he says, who can understand it? In other words, who can know the heart? You know, sometimes we say, well, I know my heart. But the truth is, we don't know our heart. And if we did know our heart, we'd probably be sent into a panic mode to realize the sin sickness of our hearts. Jeremiah's statement is one of the most powerful ones on human depravity in all of Scripture. The doctrine, and don't get frightened by that word, it just means biblical teaching, but the doctrine or biblical teaching of depravity means that all human beings who've ever lived and who will ever live are sinful. A famous preacher said this, the doctrine of depravity had to do not with man's estimation of man, but with God's estimation of man. It's not what I think about you or you think about me. It's what God thinks about us. And Jeremiah reminds us that no part of the human being remains untouched by sin. The mind, the will, the emotions, the conscience are all deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Now, friends, this is not a message you're going to hear in many Sunday sermons today in Madison County. It's one that we don't want to hear because it ruffles our feathers. But it's still the truth. You want an explanation for the wickedness of our world today? How many would agree that we live in a wicked world? You, don't want, to, you want to know why people cut off other people's heads in the name of religion? You want to know why an Uber driver in Kalamazoo, Michigan, randomly shot and killed six people this last week? Four of those ladies just standing in a Cracker Barrel parking lot. You want to know why 100,000 children are victims of sex trafficking every year in America? The answer is found in those words. The heart is deceitful, above all things, and desperately sick, who can understand it? We live in a dangerous world. Murder and racism and terrorism that fills the news cycle every day. This is our reality. Because, read it with me, the heart is deceitful, above all things, and desperately sick. Who can know it? This is the explanation for all the misery and the heartache and the injustice of life. The human heart is depraved and defiled. And why is that? It's because the human heart has been infected by a fatal virus called sin. It can't be cured and, and changed by reformation or by information, it can only be changed and cured by transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. Mark Twain was right when he said, man is like the moon. We all have a dark side we don't want anyone to see. 
The psychiatrist terms it emotional issues. The philosopher refers to it as irrational thinking. The humanist excuses it as human weakness. The criminologist writes it off as antisocial behavior. But the real authority on it says it's sin. Jeremiah knows the sinful human heart is not something that we can fix for God, but only something which God can fix for us. And that's why Jeremiah asked in regards to the sinful heart, who can know it? And he asked that question from a human standpoint. It's like, God, who can know the heart? There seems to be no answer until we come to verse 10. I, the Lord, probe the heart and discern hidden motives to give everyone what they deserve, the consequences of their deeds. In essence, God says, Man will never know his own heart because I, God, am the only one can know the heart. The secrets and hidden motives of our hearts are all revealed to God. So he can give each of us, he says there, what we deserve. It may be that no one else knows or would ever suspect the secret sins of your heart or my heart, but God knows. It may be that no one else has a clue that in the privacy of our hearts, we have turned away from God, but God knows. In the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 4 we have one of the most confrontational verses in the Bible. The writer of Hebrews says this, No one can hide from God. His eyes see everything we do. We must give an answer to God for what we have done. The sinfulness of my heart may be concealed to myself. And it may be concealed to you. But it's revealed to God. Because only God knows the heart. Only God can offer a remedy for the heart. God knows how hard our hearts are. And he knows our hearts have turned away from him. He knows our hearts are sick. But he's going to do something about it. And man, that's a rejoicing. Good news. There's hope for our sin-sick hearts. And when you go further in the book of Jeremiah, you get a full picture of what that hope is all about. Jeremiah 31, 33, we read, The new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel will be this. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Not only applicable for the people of Israel, but applicable for us today. In this new covenant, God allows his son to die so that his people 
that he has chosen can be born again. And when we accept the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we die along with him as portrayed in our baptism. But then we're raised to new life. And a transformational work of God is the only solution to a diseased, sin-sick heart. And so God sent Jesus Christ, his son, in order that we might have new hearts. This is what's wrong with all human beings on the face of the earth today. At our inner core, in our hearts, we're turned away from God. We were born with the inherent desire to turn away from the God who created us. It's something that has affected each of us since our very conception. And God has diagnosed our condition And he said, it's sin. From the start, our spiritual hearts have been turned away from God. Now, for me personally, David L. Blackburn, and the L stands for Lee, my mother wanted a daughter, and she was going to call her Linda Lee. She got a boy. But for David Lee Blackburn, I don't need a second opinion concerning my condition. Because I believe God's diagnosis about my heart. You'll have to come to that realization for yourself about your own. But God said our hearts are sinful. It's not that they're just acting sinful. You see, sin isn't associated with any action or behavior. It's associated with really who we are. And once you realize that sin isn't primarily an action or behavior that we do, it changes your efforts to get rid of sin in your life. It isn't what you do. Sin isn't what you do but who you are. Then how are you going to get rid of it if that's the case? Maybe this will help you. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. One of the ways a person tends to move away from biblical Christianity, one of the first ways, is by thinking that people are basically good, but they just keep making bad decisions in life. But here's the rub. If people are basically good, and they aren't desperately broken, as God said, there's no need for a fix. If we're not lost, we don't need to be saved. If all we need to do is get a little bit better or or try a little harder, then Jesus dying on the cross makes no sense. And that's why Christianity is so hard for our culture to accept. It's hard for them to accept because they don't believe in sin. In the midst of the brutality and the terrorism and all sorts of really bad stuff in our world, Our culture still believes that people are basically good. 
I don't care what our culture says. God says through Jeremiah, that's not true. God tells Jeremiah that the problem is the human spiritual heart is sick with sin. Most people don't believe in sin. But, you know, they have a sense that something's not right. Something's a little off. Some of them would even acknowledge that their hearts are hard toward God. Some of them feel like that little bush trying to live in a desert. And when you get them away from the activities and the distractions of their life into a quiet place, they know that something deep down is not right. It's broken. They may not label it sin, but they know something's wrong. And yes, something is wrong. We all need a heart transplant. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Read it with me. I will take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I hope and pray that I never need a physical heart transplant, even though the success of that procedure has improved considerably since it was first done 50 years ago in 1967. That first patient that had the first heart transplant lived 18 days. But now the post-operation lifespan for that procedure is 15 years. Heart transplants aren't considered to be a cure for heart disease, but a life-saving treatment intended to improve the quality of life for the recipients. Now, we've seen that Jeremiah brings a difficult message, a hard message. And it can seem overwhelming and discouraging to you, and it's not easy to preach this kind of message. But at the same time, he doesn't leave us there because he gives us a message of hope. For thousands of years, God has been the chief surgeon in millions upon millions of heart transplants. And God's procedure has a 100% cure rate for spiritual heart disease. God forgives us through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, and He takes out our sin-sick hearts in a supernatural way. And through His work of redemption, He gives us new spiritual hearts. And here's an amazing fact. The quality of life for the recipients of that new heart is beyond anything they could imagine. And the post-operation lifespan isn't just 15 years, but it's eternal. So here's the question. Do you need a spiritual heart transplant today? I may not know that you do, Pastor Damon may not know that you do. Pastor Jeff may not know that you do. 
Your family may not know. Your friends may not know. But I'm going to tell you one thing. God knows if you need that spiritual heart transplant. The writer of Hebrews that we saw the verse earlier, he said, no one can hide from God. Preacher, priest, no one. So here's my suggestion. Quit trying to hide your sins from God and ask him to take away your heart of stone. With its sin, with its disease, and give you a new heart. If you ask God to do that, to give you a new heart, here's my guarantee. He'll do it. He'll do it. He's done it millions of times before, and he'll do it for you. He'll do it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are the great surgeon. You diagnose our condition. You said, Lord, that we have sin-sick hearts. And the only cure is not a lot of makeup or a lot of do-over, a lot of resolutions at the beginning of the year, but the makeover, Lord, is a total heart transplant. And you have done it for millions upon millions of people. We know many of them, Lord. And maybe that we've also had that wonderful transformation of a heart transplant. But Lord, if there's someone here today that still believes that they can just fake their way through life, just kind of get a do-over, a makeover, without that transplant of a new heart, Lord, reveal to them today their condition. Let them see that it's not just going to be covered over by our good deeds and our good works. Lord, we need a heart transplant. The wonderful thing about that realization and that acknowledgement is that, Lord God, you will give us what we need. You'll do it today if we but ask. So, Lord, I ask for all of us, give us the new hearts we need. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.